0: light. He hunts by seeing our heat. If it bleeds, we can kill it.
1: Now playing presents The Predator Retrospective Series. I've waited a lifetime for this and I'm not going to miss oh. the chance. Join Stuart, Arnie, and Brock as they review all The Predator and Aliens vs. Predator films. What do you need us for? Because some damn fool accused you of being the best. These podcasts will be spoiler filled and may contain objectionable language. Listener discretion is advised. Oh, no. Come on.
2: Do it. Do it! <laughs>
1: talking about Prey, starring Amber Midthunder, Dakota Beavers, Michelle Thrush, directed by Dan Trachtenberg. This is Brock, co-host of Now
2: Playing.
0: And Stuart. And this is the Now Playing co-host who praised this movie's better than the Predator, Arnie. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Funny you should say that, Arnie. I did go back. It has been a while. It's only been four years, believe it or not, since that last Shane Black exercise, but Predator doesn't linger in my mind. In general, I don't remember much about the alien. So I wanted to just give him the benefit of the doubt and go through the four previous movies, which means I was not going to AVP, but I did want to go back and watch Arnold, Danny Glover, Adrian Brody, and Hal Holbrook's kid all try and fight this creature from space.
1: Last time we spoke about the Predator franchise, Arnie said, and I quote, we will never see another Predator movie. And Stewart said something about, we're due for a good one in this series because it's a C-level series, all that kind of stuff.
0: I think somebody at Fox was laughing at me. Because <laughs> this movie was already in secret pre-production while the Predator was being released. So somebody at Fox listening to the podcast is having huge fraud. Of me going, this is killing the franchise, they'll never make another one. For that reason alone, we're going to greenlight this micro-budgeted, for Fox anyway, Predator film. This is a holdover. This starts with a Fox logo, or 20th Century Studios logo. And, yeah, they started production of this four years ago. They knew right then that the Predator was not going to be the franchise spawner that the script seemed to think it was.
2: Or maybe they just knew they needed to get beyond that entry. I had forgot how bad it was. Honestly, my memory was that the fourth one was okay-ish. It's not. (laughs) It's really not. It's super bad. I was like, really? I sat through this and didn't throw tomatoes? That was weird. (laughs) My memory was that two was the super stinker, and then they gradually got better. But let's be honest. Predator has only been as good as that first movie. The first movie is a very solid B-movie that helped Arnold be more than Terminator and helped John McTiernan on the road to Die Hard and Hunt for Red October and being a big action director. Everyone should be proud of that movie, so why can't they make a good follow-up? And I'm not talking about a great follow-up. I'm not talking about being better than the first one. I'm talking about one you'd actually want to watch again. The only one that kind of even sort of works is that Robert Rodriguez produced one.
0: Yeah, that's what I've said. Those are the only two recommends I gave. The first film and the Robert Rodriguez one, and the other two are The Pits. Yeah, terrible.
2: Stinkers. And even that, again, it's not Robert Rodriguez. It was some no-name director that he produced. But even that one's got problems. The Topher Grace and Lawrence Fishburne problems. I mean, it was not great. It was passable. But long story short... When are we going to get a decent Predator movie again? A franchise that is now 40 years into its career and, again, just keeps scraping the bottom.
1: So I read that the original idea of this was much like the Cloverfield, I know the director did the other Cloverfield movie. 10
2: Cloverfield Lane, yes. Yeah, let's be specific. Not the third one, the good one.
1: Right, I like that one a lot. They didn't want people to know this was a Predator movie. Skulls was the working title, but word got out too quickly that they couldn't hide that this was a Predator movie. Would that have helped this movie? I don't even think that was necessary. I think the way it was filmed, the way it was done, I'm glad they called out the Predator early on to give us a little bit of menace while the character development was going on. But do you guys think that would have been a helpful or a good move, or are you glad that they didn't have that option?
0: If this had gone to theaters you'd be an idiot to not put a Predator in the trailer because people don't see original concept movies even if they're good. It really is a hard thing to get people in for an original film. On streaming, that could be great. You could have a streaming film that then word of mouth gets around, oh my God, it's a Predator film, and everybody gets excited because it was dropped on us like a big surprise. But for theaters, I don't think that Native American in 18th century in the wilderness is really going to blow up that box office.
2: Yeah, you're getting to the real point of this. However excited we might be that there's a new film, there did feel like there was a pall to this, given that it was not put out in any movie theater that I know about. It is popping up as a Hulu exclusive, which is not encouraging, right? We all can agree that gives one pause.
0: It did have a theatrical premiere at San Diego Comic-Con. They did screen it on a big screen. Tickets were very limited. I didn't get in, but that is the only way you could have seen this on a big screen. I don't know if they'll make it a Fathom event or something down the line. But due to various licensing agreements, I guess here's what I read. If they had put this in theaters, then streaming rights went to HBO. So they would have... Had to give HBO Max this movie. And so they decided economically it's better to boost domestic Disney subscriptions via the Hulu service owned by Disney and just put this on there and try to recoup money via subscribers.
1: So I know Netflix releases movies for like a week in theaters and then puts it on Netflix. So, like The Grey Man that came out recently on Netflix or The Sea Beast. They put it out for a very limited run for one week so they can qualify for awards and such. But it's made for streaming specifically. It's only for the awards thing. This one doesn't even want to bother getting awards because of what you said. But you said Hulu. It's strange. It's weird. I agree. But the answer is really simple because Arnie just said it. Disney owns this. And in America, in the U.S., where we all live, Disney Plus, until recently, didn't have R-rated content. And all of their stuff that's made for the streaming service is definitely PG-13, most of the time it's PG.
2: Oh, uh, if you wanted to make me even more worried, put it as a Disney Plus exclusive release. (laughs) I'd be like, oh no, he's going to sing? But here's the other thing. I mean, yes, the first reaction is, oh, it's bad. It's real bad. It's so bad it can't show its face in theaters. But I also think we all recognize we're in a different time now, where it may not be that it's bad. It may be, as Arnie pointed out, just not marketable. It's not the kind of thing that is going to bring people in to pay that ticket price to sit in a theater and give it its full attention. There is demand for this. This was a big ratings hit, as far as I understand it. It streamed very well, but it's not going to be... I think our definition about what gets people to theaters has been shrinking as online platforms have been growing.
1: So my daughter, who's old enough to be watching TV 14 and all that kind of stuff now she saw the poster of this on Hulu and had no interest in seeing it. And so I told her that I watched it, and she's like, really, you watched that? I'm like, well, yeah, it's part of this other franchise, and I was excited about seeing it after all this time. I was curious, and we're going to review it for the podcast. And she couldn't believe someone would want to watch that based on the poster that's on Hulu, which is Amber Midthunder's face with a swath of the green Predator glowy blood and the dots on her head from the aiming mechanism. That's what we're seeing, not the... Theatrical poster thing that you see on like Wikipedia or on Letterboxd.
2: Yeah, she looks like she's going to the rave. You wouldn't <laughs> even know it was the 18th century.
1: Exactly. Which is probably intentional. They don't want to scare people away, I guess, with that. Mm-hmm. I guess I don't know what their reasoning is. I also couldn't find a budget for this. After having watched this, I was very curious how much money was sunk into this. And there's nothing online telling us that because there's all this talk about Batgirl being canceled when we're recording this. And it's cheaper for them to take the loss than to release this and advertise it. Nothing about the budget for this movie. Strange to me that they wouldn't release that information.
2: One thing to think about budget is if this started life as a Fox movie and then got acquired, that's just merger cost. Whatever they paid to buy 20th Century Fox's library is whatever this thing costs to the people that are distributing it. So it feels like for Disney, there's no pressure for this to be big. And I think given the fact that it's A prequel to a franchise that never had a good sequel to something that's so old now that you actually would do better to not call it Predator 5. I think, yeah, August, summer release. That is my question for you guys, is if you didn't know that this was a Predator movie, when would you know watching the movie? I think it takes about 12 or 15 minutes before we actually see the alien and it's clarified.
1: Well, you see it ship really early on. Right before the title.
0: But you wouldn't know it's a predator. It doesn't look
2: like a predator ship. I would not know that that's the predator ship. I wouldn't look at that and go, oh, predator. And yes, Prey is in the predator font when we see it. A savvy person might know, but if you just screen this to 40, 50 year olds, would they figure out that it was connected to that Arnold movie? I think it would take a fourth of the movie before you'd figure that out. Fair enough.
0: Actually, it might even take me longer. Because I'd then sit there for another 15 minutes going, they're ripping off Predator horribly. What a horrible movie. <laughs> yeah. What a piece of crap. This isn't so unoriginal.
2: But there was reason to be optimistic. I really liked Dan Trachtenberg's first film. Cloverfield Lane was the best Cloverfield movie and a really strong directorial movie. I mean, it's hard to believe that that's someone's first film. It's so accomplished from the standpoint of how it's put together, how shots and editing and sound are all used to create this minimalistic scare movie i was very curious to see what his sophomore effort was going to be and knowing that this was it had me believing that it was possible that this was going to at least be better than predator 3
1: let's get a plot summary because i'm really chomping at the bit here to talk about the movie
0: in the early 18th century on the great plains of north america lived a young comanche woman named naru Though Naru is a skilled healer, she's also a talented hunter, and wishes to be recognized as such by her tribe. However, in Comanche society, males were the hunters and fighters, and women were gatherers, so Naru's older brother Tabe gets the glory for being a great hunter. She gets her first opportunity to prove herself when a tribesman is attacked by a cougar. A group of warriors go to find the wounded man and hunt the cougar, and Naru is allowed to tag along in case the man needs healing. Naru finds but fails to kill the cat and is knocked unconscious during the fight. She's carried home by Tabe. He then slays the cougar and is given the title of war chief. Naru saw signs in the wild of a greater threat than a cougar. A metal bear trap and a skinned but still writhing snake set her on a path to seek out this new foe. She and her dog Sari go out alone, seeking this predator. When a group of Comanche tribesmen come to take Naru back home, the predator kills them one by one. Naru gets caught in a bear trap laid by French fur hunters who take Naru hostage. They also have Tabe as a prisoner, and the French tie the two together, left out as bait for the Predator. The alien hunter then comes, but leaves the helpless prisoners alone, instead slaughtering the pistol and rifle-wielding French. Tabe and Naru escape their trap, and Tabe attacks and grievously wounds the Predator before being killed himself. Naru steals the Predator's helmet, which has the laser-guided targeting system. She then leads him into a trap in a bog, and when the Predator fires his spear-like weapon at Naru, he doesn't realize she's placed the alien's helmet to target the side of its own head. The Predator is killed by a boomeranging projectile. Naru beheads the beast and takes the trophy back to her tribe. She's declared war chief as Credits Roll. And as they start, you're right, we get that old 20th
2: Century Fox logo. R.I.P. I don't know that it really exists. But this is what
0: Disney's doing? If it has an R-rated film, it's calling it Fox? Actually, if it's a Fox-made film, they're calling it Fox. We've really yet to see what they're going to do with that title in the future.
2: So let me ask. The first thing we hear, well, actually, the first thing we hear is Comanche. I don't speak it. I don't know what she said. I assume it's the same
0: thing she says in English next. They filmed this whole film in Comanche and then did another take in English. Oh, okay. You can watch this in Hulu and see them actually speaking native Comanche. So that's pretty awesome. In some ways, that would have made it even more authentic.
2: It's got a very authentic vibe, and when they speak English, it did take me out a little. But the point is, what she says is, a long time ago, it is said, a monster came here. Is that a modern narrator orienting us back to 1719? Or is she saying that even before 1719 back when there were no Americans, there were no Europeans in America, the Predator was hanging out?
1: I took it to just to be a a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away kind of thing. I didn't put much thought into it whatsoever.
0: I think you're right, Stuart. That's a contradiction. I took it as setting the stage that we were in 1719 as a long time ago. But you're right. There is also the... Legend of the Thunderbird, she's going to talk about. And since we now know that in the jungle in the 80s wasn't the first time a predator came to Earth, yeah, you could take this all the way back. In fact, they did. Alien versus Predator. Weren't they hunting woolly mammoths and things in the Ice Age? I've never heard of that film. (laughs)
2: Sounds wonderful. I have to see it one day.
1: Also, later on in the movie, one of her tribesmen says, You think you saw a beast from a kid's story or something like that? So maybe. That could be reference of, this was a fable and then it actually came true.
0: Or the fable is based on a real event that happened hundreds of years ago. The point is, we're going way back, further
2: than I thought. I thought it was 100 years before Arnold. It's more than 200 years before Arnold. But this feels very trendy. I remember right before COVID broke... Everybody was going to the bar and throwing axes. And I'm like, what are you talking about? But this was like a hip thing to do. It's kind of wise that they have framed it this way, that her little power is to hurl axes around
0: with her dog.
1: I thought that the changing from Comanche to English was kind of like the hunt for October, that we're to assume she's speaking Comanche, but they're saying English words so the audience can understand them. Because later on in the movie, when the French people speak, we get no subtitles whatsoever. We have to go by what their actions are, you know, their body language to figure out what they're saying. And much like we talked about in other podcasts, sometimes you don't have the subtitles, you don't even need them. You don't understand exactly what's going on.
2: And I wonder if they never did translate, if they didn't speak in English, I think you'd get this movie. I think this movie, at least in terms of plot, is very simple, very straightforward, predictable even. You can guess from the early scene what the character wants, what her journey is going to be, and probably what the resolution is going to be, too. Not trying to take away from the power of the movie, because it's actually a very well-made film. I'm just saying I don't know that it's a dialogue-driven film.
0: No, it's pretty formulaic, and honestly, there's very little dialogue here that's memorable. It's all functional dialogue. When we watch these movies, I often write down quotes, and here... There was very little I wrote down even though I watched it in English, so I don't think that you're wrong. In fact, I think that sounds like a very fun experience is to just watch it in the Comanche language without the subtitles on. You know, I used to watch Revenge of the Sith in Spanish without subtitles on, and it was very much like an opera because of the way they spoke and the actors doing the voiceover were so much better than the American actors who did the original dialogue that yes, I think this would be another movie I could do that with.
2: I think the most memorable line is, if it bleeds, we can kill it, which is not originated from this film. Okay, so
1: I'm going to use a very apt comparison because we just talked about how Disney owns 20th Century Fox, and this is on Hulu here in America, and Disney owns that. This movie very much is reminiscent of the Disney Pixar movie, Brave. If you haven't seen Brave... Have not. Very straightforward movie. princess who is being told she has to do a certain thing a certain way because she's a princess. And she wants to shoot arrows and hunt like her father does. And, of course, some magic comes in the middle of the movie. Things happen, and she discovers that she can be both a princess and a warrior. At the same time, bringing her family back together. It's a little bit different towards the end about the family aspects, but this is very much like the setup of Brave. So it's kind of like a kid's movie in that its setup is very simplistic anyone can understand it, it's very much not like a kid's movie because of all the violence, blood, and gore.
0: And it's also not like a period piece because we're still dealing with a very modern issue but putting it in the 18th century. Women still not having the equal rights as men, not getting paid as much as men. It's going to be this modern story put in the 18th century and sometimes that works better than others. Here though, I think it is pretty good because the whole movie is from Naru's point of view. And we get right at the beginning that she's very good with a hatchet, that she's bored doing the gardening and pulling up root vegetables. And so it doesn't really feel out of place in my mind while watching this.
2: Yeah, the axe throwing and the time's up kind of themes. You can see how in pre-COVID this felt like a very trendy now subject matter, that it would be relatable. that They probably were thinking they'd release this in a movie theater, that there would be audiences for it.
1: Also, a female protagonist in an action movie was just starting the trend back then as well. It's still very trendy now. Hate to use that terminology for something like that, but it's true. It seems that there's many more female-centric action movies ever since Wonder Woman proved that there's an audience for it.
0: Other than James Cameron.
1: Other than James Cameron doing it the original, of course, with Sigourney Weaver.
0: And Linda Hamilton. Oh, good point. And I would also point out
2: that this is extra risky because it gets into that gray water of men being replaced. You're replacing Arnold with a female. You're replacing... That typically has not gone over well. If has historically been a female hero, there has been a box office. But if it's about... Oh, now we're going to change the gender. I feel like that's been a dicier road for any franchise.
0: I don't know what you're talking about, Stuart. Again, Aliens versus Predator switched it to a female protagonist, and I didn't hear a single complaint about that aspect of the movie. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen that <laughs> film yet. I'll just
2: have to get to that. At. I've <laughs> repressed everything about that. Anyway, what's interesting here is we're dealing with characters that are all hunters. The distinction why we should like Naru and not like other ones are because she's both a killer and a healer. We see that in the beginning. She's going to kill a deer. But I think to spare the audience the pain of that, she misses with her hatchet and her dog gets his tail caught in a white man's trap. She has the magic salve to heal that wound. We will see that she has learned medicine from her mother and hunting from her father. So she's really a hybrid. She's really pulls from both worlds. And that, I think, makes her a better
0: predator, a more relatable predator, than the predator. But that said, she has an uphill battle. You talk about replacing male characters with female, and in my mind, it's not that you change the gender of a lead character, but how believable are they written? And the fact is, she wants to be a hunter, but she's a much better medicine person than she is a hunter. She doesn't get the deer yet she's able to heal the wound on the tail. This is something she wants, and it's probably because she hasn't had enough practice, because she's not allowed to do it, but she is still honing her skills. This is a person who's going to be undertaking an arc and leveling up her skills as the movie goes on.
1: Well, that's why I think that's the point of what we're doing here, is that She's the only person with a character arc and why she's not a good hunter and how she becomes a good hunter is what the whole movie is about and how she learns from her mistakes. The other Native American tribesmen cannot learn from their mistakes. They only know one way of going. And our brother admits to her later in the movie that he took her suggestion on how to hunt a lion safer, easier, and better, and he gets the lion, right? So that's why I like this character, but it's the only character in the movie with any sort of arc whatsoever.
2: I get that, but I ask you. If she were chopping up deer and rabbits, if we ever saw that in this movie, don't you think it would be a barrier for some in the audience? It would be for me. Even though we're to understand she's a great hunter, we're not supposed to see that. When we see her get better with that axe and tie the rope on it and all, they cut to the bunny pelts. They don't show the bunny getting beheaded.
0: I agree that certain audiences would have problem with it. Me, I'm okay with seeing actual hunting where you are taking the meat for food i mean this is how they lived back then it's an r-rated movie i would hope most adults would understand to be able to go with it but yes i do see where having your hero kill cute little fluffy bunnies might be a problem
1: right around here too when we first meet naru i get the first evidence that this movie is better made than i expected it to be When the title screen comes up, you see her standing on the cliffside in a very small silhouette, sort of like Batman, in the end of a building. The title comes down, and then a small bird comes in the right-hand corner of the screen. I watched this on my 65-inch set, and boy, am I glad I did. The vistas, the shots, the overhead shots, tons and tons of beautiful cinematography across plains. I think it's Calgary where they shot this up in Canada. There's one long shot of her walking through the tents right around this time of the movie. Later on, they'll have a long fight scene with her with no cuts in the middle of it for like two or three minutes. The filmmaking here is completely unexpected, and I was very impressed with how they took advantage of the setting of 1719 without any buildings and things to get in the way, able to show nature in this beautiful splendor with giant Legends of the Falk-type scenery.
0: Yeah, let's be
2: clear. We've never seen a Predator movie that looked like this. Not even the original felt or looked like this movie. This is going for something different. You don't call it Predator 5, because maybe that's stigmatizing, but it's also not a Predator movie. It has got its own vibe. One of the th- comments that I heard from an executive that saw it early on, I think it's apt, it's more like The Revenant. It's like that Leonardo DiCaprio movie.
0: Yeah, three for three, this movie is gorgeous. I wanted to see it in a theater, couldn't, watched it in the home theater, and... I'm taking notes about these landscape shots, and they make effective use of a drone, where they do a lot of top-down filming, too. It's kind of like a perspective if you were playing a video game and controlling this character from the God's Eye view perspective. And it's just, yes, the best-looking Predator film that we've ever had, and honestly, also, one of the best-looking direct-to-streaming films I've seen. I put it out there... Can somebody tell me a better-looking direct-to-streaming film? And this includes that Scorsese one. Yeah, it's lyrical. And again, it makes you almost wish
2: that you were watching it in a theater. But again, I think we can all admit it's going to catch more eyes here on Hulu than it ever would if they released it now in theaters.
1: Completely agree with you, but there are some movies out now on streaming that clearly have the budgets of big blockbusters. There's that charlie's theron action movie i can't remember the name off right i had the gray man the recent movie the gray man can easily play in a theater because of everything that's going on and the way it's produced but this one again since it went straight to hulu it's a predator movie completely did not expect that and which is one of the reasons i wanted to know how much money was behind this because it looks like there's millions upon millions more dollars than you think but probably there's not it's probably like 50 million tops on this it's all on the screen
0: They got a lot of production value out of filming in Calgary, I'll give them that. And they were able to use their cameras, I'm sure it was film digital, to capture a lot of this. But at this point, we get her out there, and we're going to see our first special effects, as in the clouds, this cloaked Predator ship, there's a new feature to Predators, anything they touch decloaks them, and so you're going to see some fire and some engines... The Predator gets dropped off. Is this like a Predator school bus? I know we're at back-to-school season. All the kids are heading back. Is this the Predator school bus dropping off the kid to hunt in North America, and they're going to come back and pick <laughs> him up in the end of the day? It's like day camp.
2: I don't think we've ever seen the bigger ship. They come down in the little craft, but we've never learned about the Predator world or the greater technology.
0: Let's not forget in Aliens versus Predator Requiem, We did go to the Predator (laughs) homeworld. Stop. That doesn't exist. How many times do I have to scream that? (laughs) It is just interesting to me because in the first film, we saw the Predator ship come to Earth in that very first shot, telling us, hey, this is a sci-fi movie. And I just assumed that the Predator landed and hung around. I never thought about the ship went away without him. So, yes,
2: maybe you know it's a Predator movie by now. We certainly know because that's why we're here to watch it. But these people do not. When Nehru is with her brother, she describes it in mythical terms a thunderbird, something that is part of culturally a big hunt, and she feels like she's ready. They don't want her to hunt. You say sexism? Maybe. But I do think of Native American cultures as being more progressive than European cultures. I do think in many tribes you will see women dominate, but there are designated roles. I do think that she's breaking boundaries by wanting to pick up the spear and kill, when culturally she might be just as powerful as a medicine woman.
0: She might have been as politically powerful, but I did a little reading up, not a ton, on Comanche. I am woefully ignorant in a lot of matters of Native Americans and various tribes that the Comanche were more gender delegating and gender roles than some. Okay.
2: I mean, there was... Hundreds of tribes, so we can't make them monolithic. Yeah, I'm sure that's probably why they chose this tribe and not another. Yeah. And also, they've mentioned that this is the Northern Great Plains. That's essentially Oklahoma. That's where this is happening. Keep in mind, America is still a colony. The Founding Fathers have not been born. The British are ruling. The French are trying to make enclaves here.
0: Louisiana
2: has not yet been purchased. Right. Yeah, it's (laughs) really early. Before I really think about America, I'll be honest. I really do need it to be 1776 before I start thinking about this country.
1: Right. Well, Jamestown was settled already in Virginia. This is nowhere near Virginia, but I get your point.
2: Yeah, it's a colony, but none of that political operation. This is out there untouched, essentially. And so, yeah, the fact that the French show up later is kind of a surprise.
0: You mentioned the dog hits a bear trap. That instantly clued me in. I'm like, Well, I know we're dealing with 18th century predators, but I doubt if they use the exact same technology we used to use when it comes to bear traps. Mm -hmm. So, I think there must be some white folk around that are going to show up later. I feel like that was Chekhov's bear trap.
2: Oh, for sure. Yeah, I didn't pick up on it, but yes, they definitely were telling me there are several predators out there. It's not just the alien. But the alien does have a retro look, and... I gotta say, when we finally do see it, he spends half the movie cloaked, but I really do love his new helmet, and he uses metal spears instead of lasers a lot of the time.
1: Yeah, I kind of like that, too, because it's still overly technological, so these folks who are being killed, be the Frenchmen or the Native Americans being killed and slaughtered, they have never seen anything like this, even a spear, which is a metal spear. They don't even know what metal is. I kind of like they did tone it down, though from all lasers all the time. I think that's a really good idea for this
0: particular movie. I liked the look. My one question was, we have seen Predator's cloak, and I'm pretty sure what cloaks is their outfit. And this Predator only has a face mask that's similar to what Green Hornet would wear, or Jesse James, you know, just a little (laughs) covers the eyes and forehead type thing. And it looks like bone. Like, the face mask doesn't look metallic. It looks like the skull of something it's already killed. So I was wondering why that's able to cloak and he's just not a floating head walking around all the time. Does it look cool?
2: Don't (laughs) dig too deep. So anyway, the setup here couldn't be more basic. A woman denied her passion. She's forced to dig up vegetables. She's not into it. She gets wind of a mountain lion being hunted. Of course, she's going to tag along with her brother and try to prove she's got the tracking skills, the hunting skills. This will be her great hunt, is the hope.
1: So I just want to put out there also, this movie did something that I didn't expect a Predator movie to do, because these Predator movies that we've watched, and no offense to anybody who thinks these movies are the greatest thing since sliced bread, sometimes the scripts aren't all that good. Here, they have the classic, as Arnie already pointed out, the Chekhov's bear trap. There's like four things in this movie that they talk about and then come back later on in the movie to help Naru in her quest. The bow getting wet the flower that's powerful, and she says it makes you cold, and then she figures out it helps her with the predator. There are a bunch of things like that that come around that shows that the screenplay was written more than once. They actually went through and made connections and did the what they could. I'm not saying it's as tight as, say, a Back to the Future script, but I was very happy to see that they made an effort to make all of these little things at the front pay off one by one towards
0: the end. And also, they wrote the characters well. There's nuance going on in here. While the majority of the tribesmen don't want Naru coming along, and they're going to just be primarily even nameless, stereotypical male characters, her brother is right there riding the line between, women shouldn't do this, but I know you, I know you're capable, so I'm going to help you come along by telling them you can come along for medicine, and when we get to the point, he's going to tell her, this is your great hunt. This is your chance to prove yourself, so I kind of just like that there's a conflicted character, there's a yearning character, and then, yeah, you've got your stock deniers.
2: Yeah, the acting is pretty good. I don't think anyone's going to be up for awards, but Amber Mid-Thunder has worked before. She was on that trippy X-Men show, Legion. She was a regular on that, and she's on the Roswell reboot. She has some geek fanboy cred, and Yeah, I really think that she holds the movie. She's not Arnold Schwarzenegger, but they're not going for Arnold Schwarzenegger. So I do like following her journey, and I do like her relationship with her brother, which is mostly loving, but with a healthy dollop of jealousy and competition.
1: Last thing I'm going to say on this is that they found a clever way to give the Predator plenty of people to kill without it being completely obvious why those people are there. So, for example, when we talked about The recent Texas Chainsaw movie when those bus of tourists came by in the middle of the movie that was complete set up for them to be slaughtered. Or even the recent Halloween movie where you meet all these characters that you know one by one are going to get killed. Here they have the French poachers and they have her tribe that all seem to be there for reasons and in the wrong place at the wrong time versus just there for fodder.
2: Or to put another way, this doesn't feel like a slasher movie at all. It doesn't follow that kind of
0: rack them up knock 'em down Kind of, but that first movie did such a great job of giving all of those guys moments of machismo. Whether it's shaving without any shaving cream, or not having time to bleed, making large vagina jokes if you're Shane Black. You got to know who those characters were, and here... I thought they were going for the same trope. You've got a whole bunch of people going out on a mission. The mission is to find their friend, who I didn't actually think would have been slashed up by a cougar. I thought was going to be killed by a predator, but no, it was a real cougar. But I thought these guys would get picked off one by one, and over time, and we get to see them fight the predator individually. Unfortunately, none of these guys become real characters, and when we get to it, The Predator's going to take them out in seconds. We don't get the nice lingering stalking and kills. You could go that way,
2: and you're absolutely right. They aren't fodder. They aren't really interesting characters. Their background, this is essentially a three-person movie. And a dog. Yeah, and a dog. (laughs) But I do feel like you don't need that either. It's not that kind of movie where we're asked to relish a bunch of people being killed. Normally... You set up kind of despicable or troubling people, and then there's some fun in watching them get it. Here, I do get the sense that the Comanche are in trouble. Their tribe leader is, it's mentioned that he's got an injured knee that the mother is trying to work on medicine to fix, and they just don't seem to be healthy in numbers. Her father is obviously dead. So, I do think that they're struggling here. That's the sense that I get. And yes, there's something in the woods that is hurting people. She is the one to save Poohie. She knows the medicine that when they find him clawed up by the mountain lion, she can keep him alive. They're convinced that it's a natural predator. She knows, I guess because she looked up in the sky at the beginning of the movie, that this is mythical, supernatural.
0: Well, she also saw the snake. There was that skinned snake that, of course, wasn't going to be dead. And she got close to the snake and it starts jerking around and... It's death throes, and we get some really good imagery going on here, too. Just in the middle of this, as they're going, you're going to see that, I mean, we saw the predator kill this snake, and it's the first time I realize, this isn't the greatest predator. The snake (laughs) got a bite in, and he's bleeding. And he's going to fight a lot of things, and I don't think he gets a single clean kill, except for maybe the tribesmen. He is always letting them bite him or attack him, and he's counterpunching. His green blood should be all over this Great Plains.
1: You're right. Even the tribesmen do get licks in all the time. I thought you were going with that is the imagery we get is we see an ant crawling on the ground, and he's crawling on the invisible predator's leg, and then it gets eaten and then the snake eats that, the rat eats that, and the snake gets the rat. And so what I was seeing is that as the movie goes on, this not-so-good predator goes after bigger and bigger and bigger things for the challenge. That's the whole point, and they call it out eventually. The movie calls out a couple of things, and I'm like, come on, guys, your imagery is doing the job. You don't have to call it out. And it really pissed me off. Later on in the movie, when Naru's cap, captured, she says, oh, these are the traitors who killed the buffalo. Yes, we figured that out because of the cigar butt. We know that you treat your audience with a little more intelligence, but only happened a couple of times. Most of the time, they trust the movie and the imagery they're giving us to tell us the themes are coming through. And so we see this happen over and over again. He goes for the bear, he goes for the elk, et cetera. It's kind of neat that the movie trusts the audience and we do see this novice predator at work.
2: Brock, I call those test audience lines, like they show <laughs> the movie without it. And too many people wrote on the card. Was that the people that did the buffalo? You sometimes do have to dumb it down. You do. I don't feel like the movie is dumbed down, but you're right. There are moments where they really turn to the audience and say, you're following this, right? <laughs> right?
0: I'll admit, I didn't catch that they were the buffalo killers. I thought the predator killed the buffalo. It wasn't until that she said it and I'm like, oh yeah, they're all wearing buffalo skins. I get it now. I didn't know that there was a contingent of French people who actually just came over here to get bison skins and take them back. But to that imagery you're talking about, Brock, they do it a couple of times, and I did think it was great with the ant to the mouse, the mouse to the snake, the snake to the predator. Later, they're going to do a rabbit to a wolf and the wolf to the predator. All I heard in my head was Liam Neeson saying, there's always a bigger fish.
1: We also discuss, are the prey worthy of my time? Because as Naru figures out, He only wants the hunt. He doesn't want to kill things that are easily killable. Again, they called it out for us. But they do show that a few times and that's why she's able to survive because even the Predator doesn't think that she is a threat to him.
2: Is there a moment when we see the Predator turn from animals to humans? Because I do feel like for a lot of the first half of the movie, he doesn't have a lot to do. They find scenes that are interesting visually, but it's really her movie. And so it becomes a challenge, I think, for the
0: filmmakers to talk about The Predator before he's singled out this group. A few friends of mine watched this and posted about it on Facebook. Again, I try to avoid even friends reviews, but couldn't miss some. And some people said, the first hour of this film was dull. And because of the things we're talking about with the great cinematography, the imagery, the characters. I found myself engrossed in this film, Mm -hmm. but I do think the lack of predator is going to be a barrier for some people because there isn't just a given moment when the predator decides it's going to start hunting people and there isn't really a lot of logic to why it's hunting snakes. To go back to my school child analogy, is this its first hunt and it's starting with the smallest thing and just going bigger and bigger until it finds something it can't kill? Because it does go from snake to wolf to bear to human. (laughs) More to the point, are there things that it learned
2: from fighting those things that changed its armor and the things that we know from seeing it in the other movies? I don't know if this movie is that detailed. You know, I didn't read the coffee table book. I didn't see behind the scenes featurettes. I imagine it was somebody's job to think about that. And I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't figure out this suit is protective of the snake venom because he realized he needed it. I don't know. It would be interesting, I suppose, to have that breakdown at some point.
1: Well, how are they going to get that information back to space, though? Because spoiler alert, the end, he dies.
2: They do, though. There's a direct tie to Predator 2 in this movie, and we'll talk about it when we get there. But before we get to Predators, let's talk about the lion because they've been trying to chase this big cat. It goes up a tree, and we see that I guess I would call it failure. Naru does not
0: take out this cat. She is not able to do the big hunt. She freezes when she actually sees the mountain lion, and it was killing me. They kept saying the lion, the lion, and I'm screaming, You didn't do your research! There were no lions in North America 1718. <laughs> but no, mountain lions. But yeah, she just freezes. One of her fellow tribespeople is killed by the cat. And fortunately I guess she wounds it because she gets knocked out of the tree, but it never goes to finish the job. When she wakes up, she's back in her tent. That's a weird transition, right? That she was about to be killed by the cat.
2: She wakes up, we're told her brother walked her back, and then he walked back to go kill the cat? He had to have been there to protect her in that moment. He should have been able to kill the cat then.
1: I watched it a second time to make sure I didn't miss anything, but I'm pretty certain that she didn't just blank or freeze, that she was distracted by an explosion in the distance that the predator caused. Yeah, he made a noise, yeah. So she was up for the challenge to kill that lion. She just got distracted.
2: She was up a tree. I don't know what she would have done if the noise didn't happen. She was lucky to fall out of the tree and have her brother intervene.
0: That's the thing is the lion was coming at her. Maybe she would have gotten it when it came for the bait if there hadn't been the explosion. But when that cat was up there, she was just backing further and further off the branch. That's what I'm talking about when I say she froze. But you're right. They're probably, much like she is on that branch, they're probably walking a tightrope to give the character places to grow without trying to create a situation where it appears like they're undermining her gender.
1: And that visual was really great with her on one side of the screen and the mountain lion on the other with the tree in the middle. A beautiful visual. Again, people, don't watch this on your iPad or your phone. Definitely watch this on the biggest screen as possible.
0: They do a lot of rack focus shots in this. Really, they sell better big, where you're seeing her in focus, and then the focus is going to rapidly shift, and you see the lion, or you see the predator, or you see an ant and a snake. It's just, I can't say enough that this is the best-looking predator film by far.
2: The first one had its own aesthetic, but yes, it is a gorgeous-looking film, very different from that first film. And I do think we should compliment this director. Again, he's, like Cloverfield Lane, he's using minimalism. There's not a lot going on here. It is all about how he stages it, composition, sound mix, all of that stuff. He's really in control, and I think it helps these moments work, because the CGI is pretty good, but it's not 100% seamless. In lesser hands, we might poke fun and say that Mountain Lion is moving too fast. It feels CGI enhanced. But the scene just works. It's a good scene. But we're in Act Two, and that means that she's off on her big hunt. She is not going to stay at home. She is not going to be belittled. She's sitting there watching her brother get all the accolades. I think he's going to be the new chief, or is made the new chief? War Chief. It's like he's not the president, but he's the four star general. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, no sibling is going to watch their brother do that unmoved. I have got to go up this game. Plus, again, she's convinced that getting the mountain lion didn't solve the problem. What's stalking them, what's out in those woods that's dangerous is still
0: there, and I can track it. And we're going to get a little bit of a callback to the never-ending story as she's going to get caught in a bog. Is that your reference?
1: Yeah, Treyu and uh, Artex.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Artex, don't leave me! Any child from the 80s will cry at that reference, <laughs> for sure.
0: It's the only time I've ever seen a bog in a movie, an actual bog where people are getting sucked down into it like quicksand. I called it quicksand.
1: Yeah, it's like quicksand. But yes, it's definitely a great scene how she uses her ingenuity and her brand new weapon that she realizes she had upper her game with the weapon.
0: She becomes like Scorpion from... Mortal Kombat with that thing. The way she can shoot that projectile and then call it right back to her hand. I thought that was pretty badass. I know that a lot of it's probably CGI and she's not actually catching anything, but they made it look really good. I'm going to try
2: it next axe-throwing night at the bar. We'll see how it goes. (laughs) The boomerang
0: axe. It was nice knowing you when you yank the hatchet back towards yourself (laughs) and it hits you in the head. So... The reason why
2: it's tragic that the buffalo have been killed, but we're okay with her killing bunnies and deers, is because the white man left the carcass. It just took the pelt. It didn't use the whole animal. I'm trying to understand the distinction, because I definitely get the sense that being a hunter is good in some circumstance, namely her, and bad in other circumstance, namely the French.
1: Well, I do think it's because... From what I know of Native American culture, you use every part of the animal you possibly can. You only kill when you have to for food or for defense. So the mountain lion was about protecting their way of life, whereas if you kill a buffalo and then don't use... And also, they killed a whole herd of them. They just didn't kill one. So it's wasteful.
2: She had a lot of
0: bunnies on that rope. I'm just saying. I think it's because it's a slaughter, whereas she got enough to feed herself and her dog that night versus leaving scores of buffalo just meat to rot and everything like that and let's face it they're French Mm -hmm. and the buffalo now faces extinction so I
2: mean yeah I get it it's all kind of below the surface but it's just worth pointing out that we are to admire her as a predator as a hunter we are to want her to kill so it's just a little dicey that some hunters are better than others
0: but if you want to take it that way If this movie's being watched on the Predator planet, it's a horror film of what happens when a nice hunt goes wrong. (laughs) Mm. It goes real wrong when she
2: meets the bear. This is where, actually, it's going to bring her into contact with the Predator. But at first, she just thinks she's, you know, she mentioned earlier to her brother, if you get the bow and arrow wet, the string's going to break. And sure enough, she forgets this. She got out of the bog, is aiming at that bear. It's starting to sniff the air, and doink! Thank God she had the dog to distract the bear while she was able to rebow.
1: What a great visual too, when the bear is lifted over the predator's head and all the blood falls down on the invisible predator and she gets a real look for the first time of what this creature is. It looks otherworldly to her. it looks gigantic, but to us it's an amazing visual they use. Her face was awesome. The acting was great, an incredibly great moment, and that's really the first big predator reveal about halfway through the movie is when we finally get our first full look at
2: the Predator. And they use that move in all the movies. Being cloaked and then the blood coming on them, it lets you know that this is a Predator movie. Not only because you can see the Predator, because they're still going
0: to do some of the classics, the greatest
2: hits, if you will.
0: You could have gone this far into the movie and only teased the Predator. Shown us the ship, shown the explosion, shown the skinned snake, and hinted at it. Because this is the first time it's going to interact with humans that we see, at least. And starting with Naru. And she is running from it as it's letting the bear blood. And again, that bear got a hell of a lick in it. Clawed him hard. Oh, yeah. Woo! Yeah, that's a hot scene. When he's running up that mountain to
2: her lookout, I'm tense. I'm like, oh my god. Thank god for the dog.
1: And I love the bear had a giant scar on its face. Again, using the analogy to brave there's a giant bear in that one called mordu and this bear being all scarred up and battle torn already a fighter of a bear reminded me of mordu in brave
0: but yeah it was a tense scene it also gets some good hits in on the predator before it just guts the thing and i wondered if the predator even saw naru during that she's scrambling away as he's bathing in bear blood i thought maybe she'd escape but no he's after her and she has to go into the water. Yeah, we have one shot
2: of him with that infrared and he can see her heat signature as she's washed away. And now it's on. I think that is the moment where he realizes, okay, I've caught the biggest animal there is. Now it's on to a human being.
0: And she's washed away to her brother who had sent out tribesmen to bring her back. She was not very secretive about where she was going. She told her brother we need to go out beyond the ridge and Find what this is so they know exactly where to go looking for her, and they're gonna tie her up and treat her like a prisoner to take her back to their camp. Yeah, they clearly had no respect for her earlier, and the brother is off
2: looking for her in another place, so yeah, we can see how they really wanted to treat her, and the predator does too. Again, that's another moment that jumps to infrared, and it makes him feel like she's not the threat. He needs to take out the Comanche boys.
0: And he does so quickly, again. I thought this would be the stalking, like they're heading back to their home, and the Predator was after them. I didn't even put a thought in my head about those French guys. I just was thinking that it would be Comanche versus Predator, and no, he's going to kill them all, and the last one, not the brother, but the last one who's there is killed in an enormous spurt of blood that was just so gleefully fun that I couldn't help but smile.
1: You mentioned earlier that this predator keeps getting hit, doesn't have a clean kill. The three tribesmen in that one scene, they all get licks in, especially one gets uh, stabs the foot of the predator. I did like the visual in this when Invisible pulls out the metal arrows that he put in the kid. That was kind of cool. The entire first attack on humans the first four guys he kills each one was fun to watch and interesting but i do like how the comanches all get their licks in or at least try to fight this thing as best they can
2: and he doesn't have laser technology yet he can fly through space but he hasn't invented the laser yet so again there's some kind of practical it's almost like he's modeled all the weaponry on what human beings have done and there was another predator movie that talked about this actually having human DNA in it. So, I don't think we know that story yet, but maybe they'll drop that.
0: He looks a little different than other predators, so maybe he has some bear DNA somewhere in there. But he has laser pointers. He may not be able to shoot laser beams, but he does have the laser pointers that guide his little arrow metal things. Yeah,
2: spears. So, out of the frying pan into the fire or into a new trap, Naru runs from him into a literal trap that was laid by the Frenchman. And now she is in a cage, just like her brother, going to be used as bait. Because the Frenchmen also know about this space alien. And I guess they think that they can fleece it just as easily as they did the buffalo.
1: I do like in this scene that they don't give us English subtitles, as we talked about earlier. It was really weird, that guy
0: who speaks many languages... Raphael Adelini. He is from the Predator 2 prequel comic Predator 1718 that was written in 1996 and from the movie.
2: He will be the one to eventually give her the gun that is in Predator 2. It has his name and the year and everything. Oh
1: Oh, that's why they give us the point of showing us the nameplate on the gun.
0: Yep, yep, yep. See, and I just, I was happy to know that they pulled him out of a comic book from 1996. And he had experience with the Predator. He was a former pirate. And so that's why he was able to not be as surprised as all these other French. The subtitles thing... Streaming services are crap when it comes to subtitles. And so whenever this happens, I'm sitting here like, am I supposed to be seeing subtitles? Should I know what they're saying? Do I need to go into the menu and make sure forced closed captions are turned on and not all closed captions are turned off?
1: I did that. I went in on the second viewing. I turned on the closed captioning and it's all in French. Purposefully. They don't want us to know.
2: Yeah, or you need to go learn French, which maybe one day.
1: Well, I do speak some French, so I was able to follow along. But again, you don't need to.
2: I knew what Maird was. And when the guys (laughs) in the field thought they had the trap, this is really the best scene, in my opinion. The most exciting action. If you've been thinking that this movie is too lyrical for you and you want some real adrenaline, this thing where they got the two brother and sister tied up to the tree in the fog and suddenly the predator is going crazy on these guys and using all of its weaponry, I really love this scene.
0: This is a great massacre scene, and the French get their hits in. They've got a lot of guns, and they're going to cause some damage, and he eventually has to go with like a nuclear solution, pun intended. He's going to set a trap for them using that armband that set off the nuke in that first film. I'm like, is he just going to blow everything to shit? But it turns out it's just got these really cool razor discs. My favorite was the net that kept
2: until the guy was minced. Yes. Yeah. It just kept closing. You're just like, ugh. There's a lot of, like, squeamish. He cuts down a whole tree to decapitate a guy. That was my
1: favorite because the shield he used earlier, it was a really funny... Only like time I laughed out loud was there are these guys shooting him with these rifles. And they all look at him scared, and they have to quickly try to reload these one-shot guns, which is really funny because back then you couldn't have a repeating rifle. But that also, again... You would never think that that pop-out shield that cuts the guy's head off and cuts down a tree while it does it would come back into play. Later in the movie, it comes back into play. Like, the bog comes back into play. hmm I was really impressed with how many things actually came back into play throughout the course of the movie. And here's a couple of things he lays out for us for later.
0: And yet, looking back at it, you never would have had that bog if it wasn't going to come back into play. The only reason for that bog scene to exist is to set up the bog. I thought
1: it was character development so she can show how she's adaptive and how she can think on her feet. That's what I thought it was for. But clearly, later in the movie, you're like, oh, that's why they put that scene. in.
2: Sure, yeah. It could just be a hardship. Usually, when people are questing, they go through a lot of things that don't necessarily come back. It's just a stop on the road. But I credit all of this. Really, it's directorial choices. If you are watching a formula story that surprises you because you didn't see the formula... That is directorial craft, in my mind. That is someone that has disguised things that, in other hands, would be obvious.
0: Yeah, I agree. You know, I liked 10 Cloverfield Lane. You can go into the archives at Podbean and hear that review for just a couple of bucks. But this movie has really increased my esteem for Dan Trachtenberg.
2: And while all of this is going on, it's worth pointing out they've got to get untied from that tree and I really bought this one, too. She's talking about a beaver that had to gnaw off his arm in order to get out of a trap. I'm like, ooh, they're really going to amputate. And is she going to lose an arm? But no, she's smarter than the beaver. She uses the trap to cut them free.
0: I thought so, too. I thought she was going to win this movie down a hand.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: and again, she learns from other things she sees in the movie. I think, really, the strength of that scene, also the laugh line there this entire sequence has a lot of what we're coming for in a Predator movie, and then beyond. So yeah, this is a very successful scene.
0: And here, they gotta say it, it's almost like the I have a bad feeling about this for Star Wars, after this massacre, Naru is like, there's no way that we can kill that thing, and her brother says, if it bleeds, we can kill it. They're not embarrassed by Predator,
2: and that's what I admire, even though it has a whole different feeling coursing through its veins, they still recognize that it's important to hit the marks and say, yes, we're going to do these things for the fans. But it doesn't have that fanboy feeling. You know what I mean? When you watch that Robert Rodriguez one, almost every scene was calculated to geek out. And here, they do callbacks every now and then. They do them at the appropriate number, and they do them in a way that doesn't feel cheesy. So, Naru has got to save the dog. Her dog was left back at camp. And this is what puts her back in touch with that translator. And this is where the real amputation happens. I'll cut off your foot if you teach me how to fire your pistol. Did you guys think she would use the gun? I honestly wondered if the messaging wouldn't be that this culture was tainted and that all of their weapons would be something that she couldn't use. That she would ultimately throw away the white man's gun because of the way that he had treated her land. Yes.
0: I agree. I thought that using a gun would be cheating. She was a good hunter using their weapons, using the hatchet, using the spear, the weapons of her people. And so to need an upgrade from the French, to need that pistol, seemed like cheating. She's going to use it more as a tool than as a weapon. It's going to not defeat the predator, but help her set up the Predator's defeat, and it hit me like five minutes into it. She's been going around the movie for quite a while after she gets that gun with her arm extended and that pistol at the end, and then I'm like, yeah, she's just got a gun now. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It felt like it was going to take something away, and they didn't fully go there. No, not fully. Yeah, I wondered about
2: that choice. But first, one thing I did know for sure was it had to be her versus the Predator, The fact that she has this brother that's still alive riding in on horseback,
0: dead meat. There's no way they can let him live. Awesome, though. When he comes in on that horse and does those flips, and he really fucks up the Predator. He impales him from behind with a spear. And even then, I'm like, is that too much? Because Naru is now fighting a wounded animal. Naru has a slight advantage now, but her brother... Yes, he deserves to be war chief, as proven here. It's just an incredible scene.
1: Well, actually, right before that, we see a long take, a John Wick kind of scene of her taking out all the guys at the camp before the Predator gets there. So she gets in her licks, too. Very cool, awesome fighting scene. And then she's about to get killed by the Predator, and he comes in on the horseback thing. My favorite part of that scene, more than him stabbing the Predator through, was... He knew he was going to die at that moment. And he gives her those words of wisdom to finish the hunt or whatever. And I kind of like that resolve in him that I'm done here. He glanced a little bit to his back then made eye contact with her knowing that he was caught in the hunter's trap. He was done. And I like that moment very, very much that she got to share one more moment with him. Although she seemed to get over to death for brother pretty quickly.
2: <laughs> yeah, he felt like a plot point, but I did like the performance. I did like their chemistry. It ends up being an earned moment. When it, Again, different hands, this would have been really cheesy.
0: And let's face it, you don't have time to grieve when you've got somebody coming after you to kill you.
2: Okay, Jesse Ventura, nice
0: callback. <laughs> yeah, so
2: it's got to be her movie. It wouldn't make sense to have brother and sister do it. It had to be one-on-one. It had to be her hunt. And so, yeah, she's learning from a lot of different things. She does take that medicine That makes your body temperature lower. She does lead it back into the bog. She does have the gun, but I don't think she really embraces it in a way. I don't know. Let's talk about what she ends up doing. She
0: leads it into its own helmet. She uses the gun to get the helmet knocked off of him and snags the helmet because she has realized the helmet is his targeting system. Mm Mm-hmm. And she did that earlier because one of the tribesmen said, we have him, and she goes, no, he has us, because she sees those little laser pointers and sees that it kills the tribesmen in the exact three places of the red dots. And so then she sets that up to point towards the bog so that when she traps the predator in the bog, the laser pointer is ready to hit the predator himself.
2: Mm, okay.
1: It was really clever. She uses the technology of the Predator against him, plus she uses her boomerang axe, plus she uses the knowledge of the terrain that he doesn't know. All of these things that she puts together from other parts of the movie in the climax to become triumphant over a technologically advanced being.
0: There's a weird edit here, and it really pulled me out of the film because Naru is fighting the Predator. The Predator's got the upper hand. And her dog comes from behind, bites the predator, gives her the moment she needs to scramble away. And I'm like, they just killed the dog, didn't they? They're not going to show us they killed the dog. They probably cut the dead dog scene, but they just killed the dog. I can't believe they killed the dog. If I don't see that dog again by the end credits, then that dog is dead. And then sure enough, when she's locking back to her drive, that dog is there. You talked about test screening, Stuart. I wonder if audiences were like, Don't kill the dog. So they put the dog in that last scene. I noticed he disappeared for a conspicuous amount of
2: time. Yes. (laughs) He could have been dead and then brought back for that conclusion. I don't know. But I was happy to see him. It was a cool dog.
1: They didn't want to show her killing rabbits and things like that. Imagine the backlash if they killed a dog. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Also, she puts spikes on trees because, you know, the predator jumps from tree to tree. And so she wounds the Predator that way as well. There's all these little things that she does.
0: I took that as a callback to Arnold, the way he set up all Mm -hmm. of those Rambo-like traps in that first film.
1: Exactly what I was about to say. I kind of like the callback to Arnold there, too. So it all works together in to be a very satisfying Predator climax. Because this movie very much is like the first movie. You want this kind of ending. Instead of her being covered in mud in the climax like he was to hide from the Predator, the mud comes in a different way.
2: Climaxes typically have a sort of obligatory quality with me. I'm like, yeah, we know she's going to win, get to it, how is she going to do it. But I do agree. We've seen how she has learned to be better at her quest, which had nothing to do with a space alien. She wanted to prove herself to her tribe. She's coming home with that trophy. She's earned it.
0: She becomes
1: war chief, and the
2: movie's over.
0: (laughs) Well, kind of. There's the end credits scene, sort
2: of. Yeah, it's not a stinger. They, I, I, you know, It's a long credit sequence. This movie really is only 90 minutes long. 12 minutes of credits. I was like, they've hidden something in here. They have Native American style animation that retells the movie and then indicates that another second ship comes back and gets that gun so that it can be in Predator 2 and probably wipes out the Comanche. There probably is a tragic ending that we're not seeing.
1: This reminded me of the ending of one of those new King Kong Godzilla tie-in movies. Didn't they use one of the credit scenes like this to hint that King Kong was coming? I think it was the first Godzilla.
0: Yeah, they showed all the Mutos.
1: Yeah, something like that. So I didn't realize that this was going to be what people online are claiming that this could be the door that opens for a sequel. I just thought the Predator came back to get the remains
2: Oh, I didn't see it that way at all. I thought they were giving an explanation as to why Native Americans, additionally to the white man taking over their land, that this was another explanation of genocide and extermination.
1: I thought they came back for him, but he's not there, and they shoot him up. That's what I brought into it.
2: Predator 2, they have that gun that she gave the chief, so I can only take it to mean that they got it back by force and by killing everyone that we've seen on screen.
0: I'll tell you this, none of them are alive today. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Good point, Arnie.
2: Every <laughs> ending is a tragic ending if you really think about it, but yes. So,
1: Stuart, Arnie, do you recommend
2: *Pray*? Stuart. Yeah. Dan Trachtenberg has brought it home. What I see as his real skills, at a modest setup, minimalism, a few characters. In this case, it's not a house. That was really claustrophobic in Cloverfield Lane here. He's got the whole wilderness to explore, but it really does feel like a pared-down action movie experience. And yeah, I think that lots of people would have taken this same script and made something that felt very predictable and by the numbers, not a whole lot of fun. These action scenes are great. These performances are solid. Even if you're someone that doesn't like period films or reading subtitles, you're going to get into this movie. I think you're going to like this movie. It is not Predator. It did not have to restage everything we loved about the Arnold movie. It had enough on its mind to do something different that honored the tradition of the past and gave us a really solid movie. I think I still like the original Arnold movie more. It's kind of hard to compare them, but this is the first really worthy sequel in the franchise.
0: Arnie. Yeah, it's a real solid recommend, and I wasn't sure what I'd think coming in. It was direct-to-streaming. It was a Predator film. <laughs> A franchise that I had thought was Mercy Killed by Shane Black. It was a period piece. These are all things that make me not want to watch a movie, I'll be honest. I mean, one of the things about streaming is often the movies lack hype. They lack the moment of time in the culture where the movie is relevant. They lack release weekend ability. And this movie had that, as Stuart pointed out when talking about the ratings were so big, This felt like a theatrical release in terms of being able to talk about it with my friends, and it's certainly more worthy of theatrical release than Predator 2 ever was. I'll go further than saying it's the best Predator sequel and say that it has got to be the best made Predator film. Hmm. With the cinematography, the special effects, the acting, I mean, Jesse Ventura and company can chew up the screen, but do they necessarily perform? But, despite it being the best, it's not my favorite because of nostalgia. I have 40 years with the Arnold film. The Arnold film will always be what I go to, but this movie, I'm looking forward to rewatching again in the home theater just because it was a great experience. Definitely a step up for this franchise that can only be credited to its director because we've seen Even what other talented directors can do and fail with this franchise. And by that I mean Shane Black, I'm calling him talented. But it's a way to reimagine Predator because Predator never really felt like a series. And so you can do this Cloverfield like one off and make it really work. So yeah, it's a solid recommend.
1: This movie delivered on something that I've been saying for a long time I've been wanting a Terminator movie to have a Terminator go back in time to the Old West or something and see how those people back then fight a robot like that. Westworld is sort of like that, the original Westworld, but I wanted something more like the Terminator. And then they had a movie come out in 2011 called Cowboys and Aliens, which was based on a comic book. And we did review it here at Now Playing. I was not on that show. And they had me with the title, Cowboys and Aliens. What a great idea. And that movie, for me, failed to deliver on multiple levels.
2: I think everyone feels that way.
1: Yeah. The point I'm trying to make is, here, they take an idea that I've had in the back of my head for a long time, and not only found a way to do it, but do it really well. I'm going to give credit to the director, I'm going to give credit to the screenplay writer, Patrick Asan, who also did the story with Dan Trachtenberg. I think they really developed something here that was unexpected. It could have been much, much more dumbed down and mostly still could have worked, but the fact that they had such a strong lead character makes the big difference here. Honestly, if you think about it, the weapons the Predator has in the original Arnold movie are just as useless against the Predator as arrows and tomahawks, comparatively speaking, and Arnold finds a way to make it work, and Naru finds a way to make it work. I have some complaints. I didn't catch most of the characters' names. I watched the movie twice. I found out Naru's name and how to spell it through the subtitles when I turned it on to see if the French folks.
0: I kept thinking they were calling her Mia.
1: Yeah, I mean, I have four different names in my notes. I couldn't figure out what her name is. I didn't catch the name of the dog. I didn't catch the name of the brother, none of it. And again, it didn't really seem to matter. I knew who everybody was because there were so few characters to have to keep track of, and it worked really well. I liked the pacing. We already talked about how beautiful this movie is. Big recommend for me. This is the first movie I've watched in a long time that I wanted to watch again immediately. And I did. I watched it twice. I really, really enjoyed this movie, and I think it's right up there after, of course, Predator. I did like the Shane Black one we talked about, but this one goes ahead of that easily for me. So it's my second favorite Predator movie in the series, and I really, really hope they don't do another one. I want them to keep this as itself, and if they're going to come up with another idea for a Predator, I don't want it to be again in this time period. I want them to find some other way to do it.
2: Yeah, I don't think they would. I don't think you do this again. What I've heard is they've talked about a TV series, so this almost feels like the pilot that could be like a time-travel show where the Predator goes all over the place.
0: Well, Hollywood loves success, and because this was a big ratings hit, they're already saying that they're talking about additional installments, plural, to be developed with Dan Trachtenberg. But not with
2: Nehru. Right. We don't want to see the rematch. Particularly since I think it's going to end badly for her. We would want to see The Predator. And I will say this much. They still are struggling to sell me on this creature. I feel like this movie is good because of the human story. The alien, I still don't know a lot about and still find I don't have empathy for.
1: Well, do you want to know too much about this alien? We talked about this in how many different series. The more you know about the serial killer, the less we care. Do we really want to see a whole prequel series on what made Darth Vader Darth Vader? The more they do that sort of thing, the less we care about these characters that we love. So let's keep this monster, or predator, or whatever you want to call him, let's keep him as mysterious as possible.
0: Yeah, I agree. Here's the thing that I think, though, is yes, they're riding high on this weekend, but we have seen that Disney is right now being fairly ruthless, creation of new properties for streaming, the belts appear like they're starting to tighten, I'm kind of looking at you Batgirl and everything going on at Warner, and Disney saying they've overspent on original streaming content and they have to raise the rates of all their streaming services to try to compensate, I don't think the Disney machine is going to be in any rush to get in the Predator business.
2: And I'm okay with him coming back or not.
0: I like this entry. It could
2: be the finale to the series, or it could be a kickoff to a whole new mentality where we go to different time periods. As long as Dan Trachtenberg's involved, I'll be there. I'll be interested.
1: Well, what about he did Cloverfield, he did Predator. Maybe he can go into another franchise that really needs a boost of energy and something clever to do with their IP, and maybe he can do something great with it. If they weren't finishing the Mission Impossible series, can't you see Tom Cruise picking him for one of those movies?
2: Yeah, I definitely feel like sophomore, usually that's the time that you hit your slump. Your first one was good, and your second one is like, hmm, back to the minor leagues. But yeah, he's ready for a big, big film. I don't know what that is, but he has proven himself that he can take on big stars, big budgets, big franchises. Let's see what he can really do. Open it up. But we're not going to be talking Predator next week we're gonna be talking Arnold Schwarzenegger.
1: Yes, we're going back because we're doing this Predator movie, we decided to go back and watch some of those 80s Arnold movies that really helped him become a movie star that we haven't touched on. Obviously, the big ones we have, but there's quite a few entries in between that are worthy of discussion.
0: And we're gonna start with Alyssa Milano.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Don't all good things start with Alyssa Milano? Yeah, Commando. If you wanna know which one this one is, It's the one where Arnold picks up a tree with one arm and walks through the forest and carries her in the other one, is my memory.
1: Yeah, it's one of those movies that I kind of felt like I've seen it before I saw it. I'm not as familiar with this entry in Arnold's career as some of you guys may be, but I do remember that this one is a fun watch, and I'm looking forward to discussing with you next week.
2: It'll be the kickoff to, yeah, really we're looking at him as an action star. Those bread and butter, not the big famous ones that everyone saw, but yeah, the stuff that really made him bigger than Sylvester Stallone, bigger than Van Damme, the biggest action star of the end of the 20th century. So it's commando all the way through collateral damage.
0: And that's mainly because we already talked about the big ones that everybody saw as part of other franchises. Fair enough, sure.
1: (laughs) That's completely true. But just for all DeVito fans out there, we're not doing the DeVito movies either.
2: Yeah, the comedies we're not touching, in part because Triplets is coming out next year. Maybe we're holding it off Twins for then. But... It should be an interesting exploration on why this guy became our biggest action star.
1: So until next week, I ain't got time to bleed. Thank you for joining us for this episode in the Predator Retrospective Series. This stuff will make you a goddamn sexual tyrannosaurus. Just like me. Come back to nowplayingpodcast.com next Tuesday for another all-new movie review podcast. Come on in,
0: you fuckers.
1: Come on in. Want more reviews like this one? In the archives section of NowPlayingPodcast.com, you'll find more than 1,000 in-depth movie reviews where we cover such series as Terminator, Rambo, Robocop, The Avengers, Alien, and Transformers. This is getting better than a minute. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with, and this podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by any entity that created the film analyzed herein. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review and no infringement is intended.
2: I don't think he gives a shit.
1: Now playing is a Vingonza Media Production, copyright 2022, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Vingonza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. Now playing podcast is an exclusive trademark of and may not be used without the express written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. I ain't got time to leave. Now playing is edited by Santiago and Arnie. I wouldn't wish that on a broke dick dog. <laughs> it looks like there's millions upon millions more dollars than you think. But probably there's not. There's probably like 50 grand top... 50 grand. There's there's probably $3. There's probably 50 million tops on this.
0: It's all on the screen. And we get some really good imagery going on here, too. Just in the middle of this, as they're going, you're going to see that... No, I thought you froze. <laughs> no, no. I, um. Oh, you didn't. Oh, okay. I was really about to freak out. I was like, yeah. oh, shit. I mean... We saw the Predator kill this snake, and...